Hello, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Good. It's good to be back. It is good to be back. You know, one thing I've noticed is that in between the times that we do shows lately, the world explodes. Crazy things happen. <laughs> it gets more insane, more negativity in the air, more political skullduggery. And I'm wondering if this is because people become so aggravated and restless waiting for our next episode that that must be it. it. it yeah, it spills into the, the zeitgeist. And that's why we are somewhat responsible for the things that have been going on, which is why it's good we're talking today. We must, you know, we should do like a marathon, like 24 hours nonstop, just around the clock uh, podcast and just do do this in, 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 in real time with just, you know, bathroom breaks. I wonder if anybody's <laughs> ever done a 24 hour podcast. That would be interesting to see. We are not going to do that. I should. <laughs> no, <that>. no, <laughs> it, would, it, it would get a little surreal around, uh, you know, hour 22. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We start making, start having some very interesting conversations. Um, but, you know, we would be up on the news at that point, hopefully. Oh, hopefully. Well, only if we said something terribly outrageous and it was a slow news day. Um, so uh, speaking of slow news days, there haven't been any, as we've been talking about. And, no, there seems to be one thing after another. And this business with the uh, the Nazi, the Ukrainian uh, Nazi, getting a, a standing ovation from all parties in well, the House <clears throat> uh, blew up real quick because no. uh, Speaker wrote up didn't properly vet this individual and well, you, know, you don't even have to vet somebody i mean it's you know and i suppose you know i i've got an unnatural advantage of being a history graduate you know so if if someone was fighting against the russians and they were ukrainian in world war ii there's only other one side they could be on that's right. And, you know, as soon as someone says, oh, you know, this was a Ukrainian veteran from World War II who, who fought uh, fought against the Russians, bells should go off immediately. I mean, there's a whole bunch of, of those countries, the border countries along along the, the border of the former Soviet Union, you know, the, the Baltic states, you know, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Um, you know, there, there were there were all kinds of people who were really unhappy with with the Russians and, and the Soviets and Stalin. And naturally, you know, they made a choice. They went you know, like, OK, well, these guys aren't great, but we sure hate the Russians. Um, you should know that they were in a nationalist organization, which meant you were one way or another fighting with for beside the germans um and that's just that's just history and and that should you know you shouldn't like i say you shouldn't have to really look this stuff up uh you know I, I, the other odd thing was you know he you know he stood up um in the house of commons in the gallery in the speaker's gallery as a guest of the speaker and uh, you know they introduced him as someone who fought the russians in world war ii say like, okay the other problem is the russians were our allies in world war ii <laughs> and yeah. it's like um, okay, you're applauding someone for fighting our ally. You know, there's a lot of water under that bridge. Uh, you know, the um, you know the the, Soviet, the former Soviet Union was no picnic. Stalin, uh, you know, lots of reasons for the uh, for the Ukrainians and the Poles and the Estonians and the Latvians, the Lithuanians, and various other people along that border to be really unhappy with the uh, the former Soviet Union and and Russia now. Um, but yeah, really ought to not come as a surprise to you that that they they may well have been uh, fighting on the wrong side of world war ii 
Yeah, it's this. I mean, here it is another failure of education and failure of an entire. I mean, this the speaker's not some guy sitting in a desk somewhere, he's got an office of staff. Oh, he's got staff, he's got yeah. people. You know. Nobody there raised a red flag and said, Ah, uh, this may be a problem. And I mean, in all those countries that you, you mentioned, uh, none of them back in that era were any fans of their, their Jewish communities, so they yeah. didn't have a problem fighting with the Nazis. They, you know, turn over the Jews, not a problem. Uh, Ukraine was not particularly friendly to the Jews. I mean, it changed uh, in modern times. Ukraine was actually the most accepting and I hate the word tolerant, but tolerant um, of their Jewish community in, in Eastern Europe. So that changed. obviously a Jewish person was was elected president. But yeah, yeah they didn't they didn't care back then. And, uh, they, you know, they they had their own national interests. And, yeah, yeah. they were fighting with the Nazis and sometimes very enthusiastically yeah. and there's some people say well he's 98 years old and it's like um yeah his his victims they didn't get to live to be 98 you know in some cases they didn't live to be eight so i i've never felt that well if the person's old we should let them go it's like no they've escaped justice and had a decent life uh for long enough let it end in misery as far as i'm concerned that, that they visited on others but the lack of education is showing again in that people seem to think that this was an initiative of the prime minister's office and of Trudeau. And uh, I mean, Polyev, this is this is his bread and butter, blaming yeah, Trudeau for, for, everything. for everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it it has a certain currency because they're, they're people are angry and they want someone to blame. And it, Trudeau is is the person in charge. So that happens. But you know, the, the, the speaker's office is not does not operate under the auspices of the prime minister's office. No, it's parliament. And, you know, again, you know, low information people, there's 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 nuance, there's education. And you it, it's it's really disheartening to see parliamentarians who should know this stuff because that's where they work. Not understanding that parliament is a completely separate body from the government and certainly separate from the prime minister and the prime minister's office. And there's, there's all kinds of really good reasons for that. Um, you know, because you don't want, you don't want the, the ruling party as much power as it does have to control parliament too, uh, because there's parliamentary rules and, you know, the, the speaker, uh, and you know, whether it's the gentleman usher at the black rod or the sergeant at arms, they, they're all independent of the government of the day for you know for for historically really good reasons that go back to the 1600s um and to say you know well the prime minister's office should be vetting this it's like well a the whole idea of the independence of parliament is that it's independent of the government of the day so you can't have it subject to you know the government of the day even for something as trivial as as vetting who gets to sit in the speaker's gallery because that's an amazing intrusion on the sanctity of parliament uh but again that that's that's nuance and history and and you know all that's out out the door well i mean parliament it's the structure and infrastructure within which the government operates um see it see it as a uh, as equivalent almost to the parliament building itself um and it, it, it as you said it is not something that the prime minister's office has sway over it has mm -hmm. no authority over it trudeau has no authority over it and so it it's not trudeau's responsibility or the prime minister's office responsibility to be overseeing the the speaker's office this is a, this is a mistake by the speaker 
And the attempts, this is, I mean, this has been going on in the States very successfully, and it's getting success here, which is uh, insincere politicians who know that the there are a number of low information voters out there, and often low information voters do not realize they are low information voters. They think they have all the information that they need, and they're easily led down the garden path because of their lack of knowledge of specifics of how our government operates. Yeah. I mean, and, and, uh, and it being used deliberately. I mean, and I've got to say, it, it has to be deliberately. You know, when the opposition stands up and demands apologies from, from Trudeau, knowing full well that he had no control over it, no advance warning about it, it isn't his job. You know, it, it, it constitutionally is not his job to, to say who gets to sit in the Speaker's gallery any more than he gets to say who the Speaker gets to censure. If someone's acting out of line in the House of Commons, you know, the Speaker has the power to censure, to 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 kick people out, to make them apologize, to to do all kinds of things. You don't want the government of the day to control that process because then there's no there's no check on on the government and its behavior. They just get to run roughshod, and we call it you know we call that a dictatorship if there's if there's no uh, checks on government power. Yeah, but and... they know it. They they know this, and they're they're saying it anyway. And that's the part that rankles me because they're being dishonest. Well, Polyev's entire appeal has been based upon dishonest statements, uh, innuendo that he knows better, uh, he knows is not true, uh, false statements that he knows are not true. This isn't him being mistaken. This is him knowingly saying something which isn't true. Uh, with a goal in mind, with a political in- agenda in mind, and this is this is the thing that bothers me. I have no issue with the existence of a conservative party. I like the idea of a conservative party. Uh, I like the idea of an official opposition that should hold the government's feet to the fire in when they're when they're out of line, when they're excessive, when they overreach, uh, and and questions the government's uh, policies and actions. That's really important in a functioning. Parliament, but unfortunately, the the opposition we've got with Polyev, it it's not that. It's not a sincere concern about the functioning of government for the betterment of all Canadians. It's about how can he gain political advantage. So it is very much a self centered interest, not an interest in serving the public. And I mean, it's it works in the U.S. I mean, Trump, you you've never seen a politician more. obviously more transparently self-serving than that person and, and dishonest i mean daniel dale made a made a whole career uh, when he went south uh, with cnn just doing nothing but fact checking uh, trump and 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 you know how many lies per minute uh, is is he uh, is he giving um yeah, yeah and, and for for me you know if a, if a political party has to lie its way to to get power you know not sway people with their personalities with their policies with you know their valid criticism of of how the government is doing things wrong and how they do it better but if your policy is we will get power by lying consciously lying not spin not putting the best face on things not talking things a little bit but outright lying about things then that party doesn't deserve to be elected and but yet, unfortunately it works yeah. you know we've seen it work in the states and you know, and we've seen it work in, in on occasion here in Canada as well. But it, it's really quite uh, quite disheartening to see a party that has a a policy of lying uh, as as their campaign. Well, Polyev and his business that he's going to 
make Canada more affordable, lower housing prices. There's no way that he's going to be able to do that, especially not a conservative who gets a lot of uh, donations from developers, builders and developers. There is there is no way for the federal government to step in and, and, and issue an edict that housing prices must drop 25% across the board. Like, that's not possible. It's not well, realistic. It's not, <laughs> it's, not, it's not democratic. It's not capitalist. It's, it's not constitutional because it, housing is that. provincial. Yeah. <laughs> the, only, the federal government has no power over housing. No. And, and you do that, and then you're immediately uh, devaluing the homes that people have purchased and, you know, with the hopes of reselling at some point, them being investments. And, you know, there's a lot of homeowners out there. And so you're, you want to devalue their home. Uh, it, it's it's not going to happen. There is no way. You know, he says, I'm going to take the carbon tax off. I mean, people love the carbon tax because uh, politicians love it because nobody understands it. And it sounds airy fairy. And you point out, well, we're only responsible for 2% of the po the pollution in the world. So who cares? You know, as if, well, but we shouldn't do our part then. But the carbon tax, if you look at it, it does go, it does filter back. It, it is revenue neutral and by and large. Yeah, well, um, they, but, they never talk about the, you know, the carbon tax checks that people get, uh, you know, on a regular basis to offset the uh, the actual carbon tax. No, they don't talk about that. They just tax. People hate taxes, taxes, taxes. And so they, you know, he says that uh, the carbon tax is what's fueling inflation, and what is, uh, 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 I got lost there. Uh, um, what is driving up housing prices? Yeah. What's driving up housing prices is what always drives up housing prices, which is relative scarcity, like demand uh, versus supply, yep. and uh, the the value of certain areas in the city the type of homes being built this is this is a, a function of the market that the fed the only way the federal government could intervene to make um houses perhaps more affordable is an idea Leanna had which she said it was done in the past and it was a disaster but if the federal government starts offering mortgages for one or one and a half points lower than the bank yeah um, the government would make money on it it's not a money it's it's not charity uh, the government would make money on it, but that is the only way you can get some of these home buyers who are unable to afford things based on you know one one and a half points uh, of a mortgage rate. That would be the only way that a federal government could intervene in the housing market to make things more affordable. Yeah. There, there is just otherwise zero of uh, lever for the government to do anything. I mean, yeah, drop the drop the GST on rentals. Yeah, yeah that, that that's that's fiddling around the edges of these sorts of things. I mean, that's not a. I say these are these aren't real solutions to the housing crisis. And people forget that, that you know the Bank of Canada, which is again the governor is independent of uh, of the government of the day. You know, he, he has a seven year uh, seven year appointment, which you know you can't fire him from, which is another thing that uh, Paul Ever has been saying that he you know he was going to do. You know, it, it's there. There's a really good reason for our our fiscal monetary policy to be separate from from the government. But the whole they forget that the whole idea of raising interest rates, which have you know been going on for the last year and a half or so, was to cool the housing market because it was too cheap. Money was too cheap, and and people were paying ridiculous amounts for houses because everyone and their dog could could you know on whatever their income was afford a house. 
um, because they were paying virtually 0% interest. And so interest rates were, were brought uh, up deliberately in order to cool the housing market, to bring down the prices because there's less competition because fewer people can afford it. And that would, you know, not fuel that would that would cool the inflationary part of, of housing. So the whole idea, you know, er, but everyone wants the same thing, which is, well, we want low interest rates, but we want low housing prices. Well, the two of them are linked. You can't have low interest rates and low housing prices, as the last 10 years has showed you. Uh, people have forgotten, you know, the age of, you know, my first my first house mortgage, I think, uh, you know, we went to a private lender. Because uh, we got it like a percent off, and it was like 13 and a half, 14 percent on on the first mortgage on my house. Now the house price was a lot less, so that 14 percent was less money than some people are paying on their million and a half dollar houses now. But you know, people got so used to a zero one percent interest rate uh, that they considered that to be the norm, and it would never change. And the result was inflation because everyone could afford cheap money and debt went way up because people could afford cheap money. So, you know, they keep saying, well, okay, lower the interest rates and, uh, you know, it'll, it'll solve the housing crisis. No, that's what created the solving crisis was uh, created the, uh, the housing crisis because it was low interest rates that got us into this in the first place. So you got to look at others. You got to look at supply. Um, but you've got all, but, Again, all these sorts of things are provincial. I mean, if they really wanted to do something, uh, one of the big problems uh, someone was pointing out the other day is short-term rentals, Airbnb. The yes. amount of inventory that is now out of people's rental, you know, long-term rental grasp uh, are people who buy condos and, and you know, one uh, one, two bedroom places specifically so they can turn it over all the time as an Airbnb. And that means that that is not available for someone to to buy or rent to live in anymore. Um, and they're saying that as much as a third of the market is now short term rental. Wow, that's I mean that when you consider the size of the market, mm -hmm. one third of the market, and the especially in the big units. cities because that that's where the tourists are. That's where the people are. That's you know you want to you know you, you want to live uh, um, you know, you want you know, you if you visit Toronto. Uh, you know, you don't want to get yourself an Airbnb in Barry. You want to be in the city. So, you know, all the condos that are being built, so many of them are are not available for people to actually live in. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is a problem. It is a legitimate problem, the kind that will not be solved by a magic wand or promises. The problem is people, when they're stressed and people are under stress, uh, you know, economically, especially, uh, they don't care about the nuances of government. What they th somebody fix this. I just want somebody to fix this. And in the absence of that, I want someone who says they're going to fix this. And because yeah. they you know, they want a happy ending, too. And they don't want to hear that this is something that has grown, taken years to grow. It's not something that can be addressed by an act of government. And you're nobody, including Polyev, can just step in and say, I'm going to take off the carbon tax. And then all of a sudden, magically, everything's affordable. That isn't realistic. He's lying because he knows he's just telling people what they want to hear because people are like, don't tell me facts. Tell me what I want to hear. Rub my back. Soothe me. And that's what people want. And I don't blame people for wanting that. I mean, you don't want to think what this is going to go on indefinitely. I'm going to have trouble making my nut every month. 
uh, indefinitely. No, somebody tell me you're going to do something. And, yeah, and somebody tell me it's not my fault either. So yes, and it's not my fault. It, it you know, it, it, they point at lots of people, and of course, they've been very effective at pointing at uh, Trudeau. I mean, my as we we said in the last uh, podcast, I'm at the point where I think that Trudeau needs to step aside because he has been very effectively uh, labeled as the cause of all of these problems, not the party. By focusing specifically on Trudeau. The opposition has made it that Trudeau the person is the problem. I think if Trudeau the person's not there, people generally favor liberal policies. Um, and if they get the right person in there, not like an analog of Kim Campbell, who was a notoriously terrible campaigner, which didn't help her. Um, but if they get in somebody like a Romeo LeBlanc, I mean, and you can't have Freeland. Freeland is... Trudeau's uh, uh, shadow or, or she can't do it. She will be seen as Trudeau. It won't, it can't work. I think that if they could get some kind of agreement from the other parties that, look, we're going to hold a leadership race. Do not bring the government down while we don't have a leader. Um, then Trudeau really should uh, take a walk in the snow because I don't think there's anything he can do to, he's been defined by the opposition He's, his communications people have been uniformly terrible from day one. They have done nothing to present him in a better light. And it's time that uh, he recognizes, look, if all of this is centered on me, all this negativity is centered on me, let me remove myself so that the party uh, can bring somebody in a fresh face. Because again, Canadians generally favor liberal policies. That's just where I'm at. Um, I'm not saying he's done a terrible job. I'm not saying he's done a fantastic job. But what I'm saying is, regardless of whether he's done a fantastic or a terrible job, he's been defined as the problem. And yeah. so politically, and, and, I don't and know successfully. how he can win. Yeah, and you know, and you can see that in in the uh, the, the campaigning, you know, the pre-election campaigning that's going on right now by the Conservatives, and, and to a, a lesser extent, uh, the the NDP where they're identifying every problem that Canada suffers, whether it's uh, you know municipal, uh, provincial, or federal, as being personally the responsibility of, of, of Justin Trudeau. And you know you hear that, you know, and they, they hammer it. They hammer it all the time. And eventually, that kind of repetition sticks with a lot of people. And so a lot of people have identified whatever problems, real or imagined, that Canada is going through it. And quite frankly, you know, we have we still have it pretty good here. I mean, yeah, you know, go to the grocery store, it's it's expensive. But you know, the, the levels of poverty in Canada are weighed down. Um, unemployment is weighed down. I mean, there's lots of good things about Canada right now, you know, that we're just, you know, too whiny to recognize. Um, but, uh, you know, what uh, the, the real or perceived problems that Canada is going through right now have been personally identified successfully by the opposition parties with Justin Trudeau. And even people who say, you know, things aren't that bad in terms of sentiment. And we're seeing this with the polls that are, are coming out right now. It really has stuck to him and it's become very personal. And it was like that with his father too, in his last, uh, in his last years as, as prime minister, you know, Pierre Trudeau, there was a visceral dislike of him, certainly out West. Um, there were, and, and pockets all over Canada, there was, there was this, this, you know, almost you know, irrational dislike for him. And once there's that, it's, that's really hard to overcome, no matter how good your policies are, no matter how good life is, 
um, people just sort of identify with it. You know, can he come back from it? I, you know, I, I don't know. You know, we've often depended on, uh, you know, any party depends on the terribleness of the other party in order to get themselves elected. Um, you know, yeah, you but, can't always yeah. count on that. No, and, uh, and I think that the liberals banking on the public seeing Pierre Polyev for who he is, for what he's, he's, you know, what he was part of is the Harper government, his statements, his support of the Freedom Convoy, Freedom Convoy, I hate that we call it that, <laughs> yeah. the trucker convoy, um, yeah. <clears throat> that the majority of Canadians still do not support what they did. Um, they're hoping that uh, an effective campaign can be uh, whipped up, which points out to people that Pierre Parlev is a, a, a liar, um, that he's shown judgment that is out of step with the average Canadian. And they're, they're pinning all their hopes on that message getting through, that on that message being something that is more potent than Polyev, who's been laying the groundwork for everything will be better if Trudeau's gone. Yeah. And, you know, there there is the fatigue factor as well. And you know, historically, you know, whether it was the... Uh, uh, the Chrétien government or the McGuinty government provincially in, in Ontario or the, you know, the last, uh, you know, the Pierre Trudeau, government, uh, Pierre Trudeau government, there's a, a tiredness factor where a party's been around too long. Um, and, you know, whether they're doing a good job or a bad job, good caretakers, you know, major minor scandals, there's a point where after 10, 12, 14 years at the, out, uh, at the very uh, end, the Canadian voter just goes, you know what? It's time for a change, and that you know we saw that with uh, you know, in Toronto. We saw that with the uh, well, we saw it with Doug Ford, mm -hmm. and we saw it with Rob Ford as well, where you know, not necessarily great choices uh, from a, from an ideological or experience or any other standpoint, but people went like, I'm just tired of the other guy. It's time. How bad could it be if I elect Rob Ford? Um, well, that's the thing man. that people were saying even about Trump. Come on. How bad can it really be? The office yeah. provide uh, makes some certain constraints on whoever's yeah. in it. He's and... not really like that, and he's yeah. got good people around him who's going to control him. And you know, the, you know, he says all this stuff just for effect. And it turns out, you know, in you know, not just Trump, but a whole bunch of other politicians we could name, it's just not true. They really are as terrible as as their persona is, and there really aren't any breaks or bunk or uh, or guardrails that are going to get them any better than they were. Yeah, it. I, I think we're realizing now that uh, no, the office will not constrain certain people, and because uh, pe people who get into that office who haven't any knowledge of the office's function uh, and limitations or respect for any of that, uh, you can't. Once they're in, you can't get them out. So it, it really is. I mean, in the past, when you rolled the dice, as I've said before, there's two times when the public is ready to ready for a change. One, when times are bad, though sometimes depending on why they're bad, people don't want to change, uh, you know, change riders on the horse or change horses, whatever, um, when it's in the middle of a problem like COVID. The other time is when things are good and people feel comfortable and secure. Like, yeah, what what can it hurt to put somebody else in? Things mm -hmm. are good. Who can, how, how can they really screw it up? Um, and <clears throat> right now it's, uh, if you're of the mindset, as you pointed out, where the unemployment is low and uh, and so on, then uh, yeah, you might say, well, you know, how can how bad can it be? 
and if you're in a state where it's it is terrible, where you you know you your hand to out check to check, you'll want to change as well. So it's the question is, will people's desire for change override their revulsion for Pierre Polyev, especially when a lot of his statements and postures echo the Trumpers in the U.S., which Canadians are not on board with. So, I mean, it, it's a gamble. Now, you know, we've talked before, I think, as well, that if the Conservatives didn't think Trudeau was a formidable ally or enemy, you know, opponent in an election, they wouldn't be focusing on him. They would yeah. want him to stay because then they could walk all over him. They obviously have some internal polling, which shows that Trudeau is still uh, somebody who is viable. Yes, he's still the man to beat. Yeah. Um, if they thought he was really done, if the public was really done with him, they would you not just have be to sit, You just have to lay back and, and, and wait for the tide to come in at that point. That's right. That's right. You would do nothing to try to encourage conversations within the party that maybe he should step down. You want him there so that you can kill him. You can kill him in an election. So obviously yeah. they see him as somebody who's still got potency. But, you know, the... Something just uh, that occurred to me while we were talking, and it's occurred to me before, but the fact that interest rates have have gone up, and yes, it increased uh, the costs of, and, and you know, prices have gone up for for groceries and so on, not really because of interest rates, but because no. of the Greed. global supply chain. <laughs> Well, supply chain and just plain old greed. It's an opportunistic, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, money grab by the, by the conglomerates that uh, run our food business. Yeah, they. That's, I mean, I know me. <laughs> I know somebody who was in the uh, the supermarket business, didn't own it, but was you know in the offices there and in, in, in a position um, for a number of years. And uh, he told me that it is legitimately true that their suppliers uh, increased prices substantially. And those suppliers did it because their suppliers increased uh, prices substantially because yeah. things are just more scarce after the pandemic. So it's the prices that you're seeing, you know, in supermarkets and so on, not necessarily because the supermarkets say, hey, now's a good time to, to gouge people. Now's actually a terrible time to do that. And if you want long term loyalty, now's a good time to not raise your prices. Yeah. But the their costs have gone up now you could say a company like loblaws for example uh the profits overall of the company have gone up because more people are using their pharmacy and cosmetics uh certainly you know areas because during the pandemic you know our patterns of shopping have changed that was the place you got everything so now you get everything there now you could say that look you're making good you know really good profits on these other aspects of the business um, use that to offset some losses in the cost of your grocery items. Um, but for how long can that sustain? Um, it's very easy to turn people against the you know corporations like uh, Jagmeet Singh, you know, once again grandstanding, um, and point out the company has earned, you know, has increased its profits without pointing out the company is not one thing. It's not the mom and pop store where it all goes into one pill. Um, it's diversified. So, it, but people, again, people don't know that. They want someone to blame. They see the costs are higher. They don't see what costs the supermarkets 
now have to pay for those goods that are higher. That, that's not visible to them. They're the end pur purchaser, and this is what they see. But what's disturbing is how many Canadian families were clearly living on the edge uh, already that that this that, that a nudge like this um yeah it could tip you over them. into poverty into you know into into real problems yeah they were they were living there was there was no buffer zone for them they were living right at the edge of their means and the inflation has what is inflation at in this country right now do you remember Oh, at, um, 3.2 is it? Yeah. I can so, quickly look it up. Yep. Yeah, it's around there. Think about that. 3.2% is an increase. But the fact that uh, grocery prices, for example, or other things rising 3.2% takes people from being able to manage to people not being able to manage, it shows that people, too many people, were living right close to the edge, which goes back to what you're saying about cheap money and amassing debt because the money was was cheap with the interest rates being low this is a this is an issue that people aren't looking at yeah lots of people are struggling we need to look at what was the what were the mindsets of people that got them into a situation where one knock would knock down all the dominoes in their ability to afford their lifestyle you know, and you know, and then you know, older people say, "Oh, young people don't know how to don't know how to sacrifice, and they don't know how to save, and all, all you know, they're they're living this lifestyle." And uh, it, you know, I'm sure there's some of that true, but you know, but things are difficult. Wages have not caught up, are are kept up with uh, with prices uh, certainly. So you know, people are on the whole, in relative terms, even though Canada is doing better. In than most of the the other G seven countries because you know it isn't just a Canadian problem this is a worldwide problem that uh, you know between scarcity and uh, and you know the monopolies and various other things that have made life just more expensive um, wages have not caught up with it and are kept up with it and, you know and there's all kinds of reasons there's automation there's you know you've got uh, you know chat chat GBT that's writing things for people now and so a whole bunch of people are out of work. Uh, um, uh, the uh, you know, I was in uh, where I was, I was in Shoppers Drug Mart the other day, and it was completely automated checkouts. I mean, a, a lot of those sort of entry level jobs, um, you know, the 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 ones that are un, mostly unskilled, and were available to to you know younger people, you know, traditionally to women, to new uh, new Canadians, to immigrants, the kinds of you know whether it's driving trucks, which you know Tesla will get rid of soon as well, uh, to to checkouts. All those jobs are, are disappearing and there's nothing to replace them with. Uh, so you're creating this entire class of people who are going to be be systematic, uh, systematically poor because there just isn't anything for them to do um, yeah, or I... anything they can do. And so society's got to carry them as well. But even people who are skilled or semi-skilled, um, you know, unless you're part of a couple of a couple of the surviving big unions, um, and, and even they are are having their issues. You know, you're you know professionals are just not making the money that they did because you know there's there just isn't any incentive to pay them um, because there's there's too much competition and uh, you know there there are too many alternatives. Not to mention offshoring and all those other things that uh, that have ruined our uh, our uh, our employment economy. Um, it's you know it it's 
become very difficult and and unless we address these things in a real a real way especially as part of kind of a you know we have a service economy and then we have a few people who grow things um and not an awful lot in between yeah. um canada is getting hollowed out um not you know not because of the government you know but these are just world forces that are taking place you know you go to the united states and you see crushing poverty there they've always had a lot of poverty but you spend any time in the states these days and you see an enormous underclass now of people who are unemployable because they don't have skills but there also aren't jobs to match you know the, sort of you know the, the the manual labor or the or the uh, you know the, the the low education requirement jobs that were there and were the backbone of so many people you know in in the United States and in Canada right now so you know but and no one wants to talk about that you know, they'd rather talk about uh, interest rates. Yeah, well, I am I am an opponent of AI uh, because I see this as just a, several nails in our employment economy coffin. You know, I, I hear these commercials where uh, experts predict that AI will create 100 million jobs worldwide. Uh-huh. Um, even if you even that's, that number is true, what jobs? Because it's not creating jobs for the people whose jobs are being taken. You know, they, yeah. they talk about how many jobs. Sure, it'll create jobs for people who are educated, who have uh, certain skills, uh, post-secondary education. Uh, it will not create jobs for the people, as you mentioned, uh, the young with no experience, looking to gain experience, uh, the uh, new Canadians, immigrants, people who are starting out, or this is all that they can get. Uh, you're you're making them obsolete. You're making their jobs obsolete. You're not making them obsolete. They still exist, and so the the burden on the system is going to increase. And it's it's very difficult to build small business infrastructure, like small business economy, when the people who would start out small and eventually save and build up and 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 go into small business uh, aren't going to be given that opportunity. There's you're giving them a ladder. And every rung but the top one is gone. Saying, "Here you go, climb." Um, yeah. It's this this infatuation that we have with what we are able to do with technology has outstripped our common sense and our look at well, what's it doing to us rather than what is it doing for us? And I am not an anti corporate guy. I am a capitalist. I believe in uh, a capitalist society with as Leanna calls them, uh, supportive capitalism, which is uh, social programs to, to help yeah. make a healthy, a healthy place to live. Uh, but corporations have been very good at having us fight each other and having people on the bottom rungs fighting and blaming each other. Because if they start turning their heads and saying, wait a minute, our uh, wages have been basically stagnating since the 70s. We're in this situation because these corporations making record profits have basically gotten away with screwing us all these years. Uh, it's going to change some things. I mean, you look at the, the U.S., President Biden going and standing on the picket line with the union. Um, we need some more strength behind labor. Labor has been demonized for so long successfully by big business and it didn't help itself in some cases because some cases it, it it was corrupt um or it really wasn't effective in helping its its members but the, the decline in unions 
it's not just coincidental that the rise, the stagnation of wages has matched the decline in unions and the respect for labor and the idea that uh, the best social program is a job. No, it's not. The best social program is a social program. Um, and, uh, and and a job is a job. I, I, I don't know who these companies think uh, is going to be available to buy their products when they're making people unable <laughs> to earn a living to afford it. Other than people, you know, unless unless you're somebody who runs and owns dollar stores, you know, where where are people going to where are you going to find the people to buy your durable goods, to you know, to buy your your high end dishwashers and fridges and vehicles and uh, luxury items? I mean, you're going to have the, the you're going to have the very rich and the smatterings of a middle class and a lot of people who just they never mind pulling up by your bootstraps they don't even have boots yeah and you know one of the other things you know you know two things come to mind i mean the 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 gig economy uh you know you know it's like the it's like the 19 late 1920s again where you know you're taking in laundry and you do you know you've got a border and you know so you got airbnb and you've got you know the uber guys and uh you know everyone's got all these little tiny jobs that they have to cobble together in order to make make a living and they're barely scraping by you see what people make uh driving for uber and and all the rest uh and in it and it's a pittance for the amount of labor and effort and and everything else that goes into it and people are expected to do that because there aren't full-time jobs um you know companies have learned that they can get by with a whole bunch of part-timers and keep their weight you know their hours below the 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 uh, the 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 minimum necessary to provide them with pensions and health care and all those other corporate social uh supports that are so important to people um and they've been been able to to successfully kind of throw some of that back on the state to uh, to look after it's you know so it's uh, there's that problem that uh, that people are are experiencing as well and the other thing too and going back to what we talked about interest rates and easy credit i mean i was shocked the other day i bought something on amazon and it was around 25 dollars. i don't even remember what it was it was it was something for my office and there's a little button next to you know buy it now it's like would you like to finance this yeah like it's it's a 25 dollar you know stapler I'm going to finance my stapler, but it's so easy now to, to push that button and people don't understand, uh, you know, because there's a basic lack of understanding of, of, of math, uh, that the costs of financing, even a little thing like that, you'll pay for that stapler three or four times over by the time you paid it off. Uh, but they've made it so easy to, to 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 mortgage your future on things big and small. We're not talking about houses anymore. We're now talking about you know you know a, a little tiny kitchen appliance that uh, you know they they you know with a, a click of a button you know allow you to finance and it turns you uh, again into an interest slave. Um, it's uh, you know it's just a recipe for disaster. I mean you're pushing you're pushing snow forward and you're never going to get out from under it. I mean you're all you know what are your options? You know declare bankruptcy and start over again because you see the household debt in Canada going way way up, and it's because credit has been too easy, money's been too cheap, and people want stuff that they can't afford. Um, and you know sometimes it's stuff they need, and sometimes it's just stuff they want. But you know, it just becomes too easy to say, you know what, I'll 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 pay this when I get my next raise. But everyone, like you say, has got precarious employment right now. 
Uh, and you know that next raise may not come because they may not have that job because they're going to be replaced by you know, by AI or offshore or or two or three part time workers. Yeah, and I I mean I understand the people who see these installments and their circumstances are well. I know I'm going to be paying more for this, but I can't pay, afford to pay for the whole thing right now. So yeah. they hold their nose. And they pay what they, you know, like I can afford to pay this month, this much per month, but I don't have that full, full purchase price all in one place right now that I can afford. And it's taking advantage of people's financial uncertainty. And it's just, it has turned into, I don't know, there was, and we've talked about this before, it just seems like we as a society have accepted the notion that it's acceptable for corporations to care only about their shareholders, um, that it's only responsible for them. If they do anything other than that, then they're being irresponsible. Uh, we've accepted big, big business narratives for so long. And we no longer we no longer shame companies into doing the right thing by their by their employees. I mean, you look at again, look at the automakers in the US making huge profits i mean when they were when they were skating on thin ice about to be you know endangered when they were endangered species about to disappear they had no problem going to the unions and saying look share the pain and the yeah. unions did but when it's we're going time to the government to, for a for a handout yeah yeah but when it's time to share the plenty no and it's it's again i don't wish to sound like a, a, a pamphleteer at the corner <laughs> With foam it's only like a Bolshevik lips. here. Yeah, yeah. but um, I don't think there's anything Bolsheviki about the notion that uh, people who like we all we're all workers. We all do work. Um, the notion that we should have fair wages for our our effort, I don't think that's communistic. In fact, it's very capitalistic. Capitalism is the, the, a system whereby your skills and your labor have value as opposed to just the value of the lands that you hold, uh, you know, which was once a system. Your labor has value in capitalism as long as you value your labor as well. And, and you know, writ large, as long as you say, I mean, you hear businesses complaining, can't get people to work. It's like, no, you can get people to work. You can't get them to work for that money under those conditions. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and, and I, I mean, I even know of one restaurant that closed down because they said they couldn't get they couldn't get good help. It's like, you know what? No, you're simply not willing to pay what it costs to operate your business in yeah. a fair way. If you, you've got a lousy business model. Yeah, that's your you, problem. If you need to pay somebody scraps in order for your business to survive, your business is a failure. Uh, it yeah. is on artificial life support and you're draining the life from the, the, you know, the individual who is in such bad straits that they're willing to take low wages and in crappy work. It's there is it is entirely capitalistic to say, you know what, my work, my effort, my knowledge has value and I would like to be paid for the value of what I bring into this business. I'm not saying you the business shouldn't be turning a profit on my my work. Yeah, it should, but it shouldn't be grinding me up and making me work for less and less. That is that is not capitalistic. Capitalism is based on competition. 
and we don't have competition. I mean, we've got so, these companies are so freaking huge um, yeah. that there is no real competition. What, what what's the threat? You're you're going to go to to the other from one big box store to the other big box yeah. store. You're going to go to the gas station across the road because you know, oddly enough, at the exact same time, their prices went up exactly to the same number. Yeah, it's, ex- yeah, yeah no, exactly. but, it, but it's not a cartel. It's not a yeah. cartel. Definitely, yeah, not at all. I mean, I. Capitalism to work requires competition and these mergers and acquisitions that have turned these companies into companies which dominate industries has killed competition, has killed the mechanisms which keep uh, costs lower, uh, which keep the the ability for labor to demand a, a fair wage. And, you know, people say late stage capitalism. How do you know this is late stage capitalism? It's it's current stage capitalism, but it's actually corporatism. I'd love capitalism to come back, but we don't have that right now. No, and you know, and, and every once in a while they kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, and you get to see how just how how fixed the system is. I mean, a couple of years ago, you remember when the you know the grocery stores, you know, you know Loblaws and a few others were That's fixing right. prices on bread. Yeah. Um, and, and if they're fixing prices on bread, what else are they fixing prices on? That's just what the one we caught them on. We know that they are all all looking to to you know their prices have all inched up the same way. You know, some of them are buying from the same suppliers. Um, so you know, like I say, there's a supply chain thing, and prices are being passed up the chain, and, and eventually you know they hit the consumer. But you know, they, they also have the the purchasing power to say, you know what, we're not going to pay that for you know for a head of lettuce well, to their what, supplier. That's what Walmart does. I mean, Walmart they take great advantage of their suppliers yeah and, some, and sometimes too much you mean at their yeah. stories about how they beat up uh, chicken suppliers and things and so they don't so they legitimately cannot you know live uh, the people who are actually supplying them with chicken can't live on what they're paying them because they've they basically force they've got a cartel themselves and a monopoly and and they they dictate the price of it and you know if you don't, you know, you don't like it, don't be in the chicken business. But you know, there's got to be a happy medium somewhere where you know everyone makes a, a, a little bit and enough money. You know, the problem with the capitalist system is, is you know, there never is enough money. You know, you see that uh, you know Loblaw's last quarter's uh, earning uh, profit was uh, half a billion dollars. Okay, well, you know, great for the shareholders. Better to be a shareholder of Loblaws than to be a customer. Um, but uh, you know, there's a point where you go like, well, how much is enough? uh you know no one's that died in the 80s yeah although it did and and it was the greed is good it's the the gordon gecko yeah all that kind of stuff and now we've had a whole generation and a half of people you know two generations who've grown up buying that uh you know not necessarily being greedy themselves but but resigned to the fact that the system works that way and uh, you know they're not going to get a fair shake and and they're like well what are you going to do uh that's just the way it is and it's like well, well that's it, doesn't, the, it doesn't have to be that way though that's what they want they want us to think what are you going to do it's the way that it is to cuz it i mean the the news um really disempowers viewers cuz we're presented with circumstances which we do not believe we have any ability to change. There's tragedies in the world that we don't believe we have any ability to change. We're just just basically fed a steady diet of how impotent we are um, as individuals. And so, yeah, you eventually say it's just the way that it is, the way it's always been, the way it's, you know, always going to be. And, 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 you know, it's it's a relentless pounding into our heads of accept it, accept it, accept it. And when you don't accept it, 
uh, there's some there's some paid for forces out there that will uh, beat you black and blue. Yeah. Or there's unscrupulous politicians who will, uh, you know, will will ride that uh, dis, you know, disenchantment and, you know, and promise you that uh, they're going to fix it. But, you know, they're not going to not because they they couldn't fix it, but because, you know, they're, they're not interested in fixing it because they're part of that system themselves. Well, you look at the budget or the, the government shutdown battle happening in the U.S., where yeah. the crazy right wing, right, right, right wing aspect of the or part of the uh, Republicans in the House uh, want to put forward a bill which would cut Title I entitlements by 80 percent and cut by, I think, 70 percent or 60 percent uh, care for um, low income mothers and their babies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they say we need to do this because we're spending too much. These are the same people who fight for and get tax cuts for the very wealthy tax cuts, which could pay for all of these programs and more. Um, it's always that the we can't afford to do this for the poor because we're giving tax breaks to the rich tax breaks, which, quite frankly, people, you know, the ultra rich. They don't feel it like it, it, it changes their life. Not at all. It's just a grand yeah. game for them. Uh, it's, you know, it's monopoly. How much can you earn? How much can you charge for your hotels? It's it, it, this. And, and then you hear people echoing, well, yeah, you know, we uh, we can't afford to to support everybody and to give out welfare. And just like, yeah, yeah. As long as you can raise corporate taxes and they're still fair corporate taxes. Uh, then, yeah, you can afford to pay to to help your citizens so you don't turn into a hellhole. And the argument that, well, you know, and it's not it's a true argument. If you raise taxes too much, the corporations pick up and leave. OK, um, maybe they will. But are they going to go to a jury? First of all, moving huge costs, huge. Are you going to be able to then employ a workforce that is as knowledgeable as the one you're leaving behind, you know, as healthy, as educated, is yeah. you know, it's not going to you know grab a bunch of pitchforks and uh, you know chase you around the parking lot. Yeah, or that re requires so much uh, training that your mm -hmm. productivity drops substantially. Um, you know, it, it, companies, some companies have moved, but it is a huge undertaking for a company to move based on a couple of points in uh, tax that that isn't going to sink or swim the company yeah and frankly i'm not sure you want those companies because you know a race there's no winner in a race to the bottom and if you are competing you know on wages against you know the you know the you know cambodia or or uh or, or you know some some of the pacific rim uh, countries that are still uh, still you know incredibly poor uh where you know a couple of bucks a day makes a big difference you know you're you're not going to compete against you're not going to compete against uh, you know some of the american southern states where you know there's there's no health care there's no pensions there's no occupational health and safety you know you don't have to heat your factories because it's warm all year round you're not going to compete against them so you have to compete on other things like you said on an educated workforce on a happy healthy workforce uh, people, uh, there are um, companies that want to locate to ontario and quebec because you know with, with uh you know carbon neutral our energy sources are primarily hydroelectric or nuclear and it's considered clean and green when it comes to credits and all the rest so they want to be here for that reason um there's there's all kinds of things that you can attract 
good businesses uh, to you know to to you know a, a jurisdiction like like we have, but you know we're more interested in whether or not we're going to get a a giant Amazon warehouse uh, that's going to pay you know not great money has has a really high record in terms of uh, of injuring its workers and uh, you know and you know no quality of life. Um, well, and, and also we're offering of... them giant tax incentives. Oh, subsidies like crazy. Yeah. To, billions, to billions of dollars. Yeah. Companies that earn billions uh, don't pay their fair share in taxes. And, it, you know, you see where the seeds of revolutions have come from in the past, because uh, it reaches a point where people you're going to reach a point where people are just fed up. Um, I mean, interestingly, the Soviet Union reached its breaking point. Not when people were fed up with uh, their poverty. It was when they started to be able to afford a little bit more. Yeah. Um, when they started to be a little more economically mobile, and uh, they saw that this, and they started to see, allegedly, how people lived in the U.S. Um, when you keep people miserable, they'll stay miserable. You give them a little bit of a ray of hope. A little bit of hope. Yeah. That's when things can can crack wide. But it's yeah, it's disheartening. And, and I saw I, I saw that uh, you know I I, I did work uh, with a company that uh, that had a project in China, and I saw China develop into a middle class where people for the first time didn't rely on the state for their for their apartment, and they could send their kids to private school, and and they could actually own a car or a refrigerator. And I said, you know, the problem that they're going to face is at some point because they're not used to our cycle of of boom and bust and recession and plenty which is mm -hmm. you know a natural cycle in the west it's been going on since the you know since the since the 1800s um they haven't experienced down swings in their economy they've only had this artificial upswing um because the government is pumping money into it and 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 they're afraid of their people um but as soon as you you tell someone, you know what, you're going to lose that car, you're going to lose, you know, you can't, you're going to lose that refrigerator, um, you're going to lose that apartment because you know you've lost your job that isn't secure because of market forces, then you get revolution. So you know it's one of the reasons that China has, has spent hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars on keeping their economy booming because they know people have had a taste of of a, a, a better life than their parents ever knew. And as soon as they've done that, you can't take it away from them. Yeah, it's uh, this world. Speaking of the world, maybe we should move on to uh, India and Canada and the prime minister making a statement in parliament that there is credible evidence that the Indian government of Modi was behind the murder of a uh, Khalistani uh uh, what do you? I don't know how you would uh, a Sikh Canadian, active a Sikh Canadian, yeah. Um, yeah. and initially all the parties said, you know, this is off, this is outrageous that India would do that, and then of course they turn out they, they blame, you know, blame Trudeau for causing trouble with India, um, right? But I I can't see how a, uh, the government would take the stand that it did without there being just absolutely rock solid evidence, and can they share all of that with the public? Well, no, because it falls under no. national security, how they yeah. gathered that information. Yeah. 
And but, you know there are there are reports that it came out of the Five Eyes and that the United States actually intercepted some of those communications and passed it to the Canadian government. And, you know yeah. it's all unverified because, like you said, it's it's a matter of national security and and as soon as you you know release the information that you have or even details about it, it gives the other people an idea of how you've collected it or who the people are involved, and that has repercussions. But like you said, you know, I don't think Canada makes those sorts of uh, accusations lightly without a whole ton of information. And of course, you know, the uh, I, I, you know the uh, uh, leader of the opposition has has uh, you know complained about it and says, "Well, go get your security clearance and we'll show it to you." And it's like, well, no, I'm not, I'm not going to bind my hands by, you know, signing a promise not to divulge secret information. I say, well, that's that's kind of what secret information is. You know, you can't divulge it. Otherwise, it's not secret anymore. But, you yeah. know, I, did India do this? I have, you know, it, it sounds it, it sounds credible to me. Um, it's, uh, you know, there's no love between Modi and Trudeau. And, and there apparently is personal animosity that goes back quite a ways between the two of them. Uh, and they certainly had harsh words at the uh, at the last conference, um, according to reports. But you know, you you can't you can't have foreign governments killing Canadians who are inconvenient um, because they're advocating for for separatism. You know, someone said, "Well, you know, what if we killed a, a, a Quebec separatist who was uh, who was living in France?" I mean, you, you'd hear you'd you'd hear an outcry about that. Yeah. Uh... I wonder how, maybe you know, how do you think this will, is being received and will aff affect the voting patterns uh, of uh, Canadians of uh, Indian origin? Well, I think as a voting bloc, you know, my, my sense is that the, the Sikh community, uh, all the news commentators are now pronouncing it Sikh. Um, so I, I'm old school. I still pronounce it Sikh. But uh, the, the Sikh communities are uh, much more political, much more organized. Um, as a block, they're they're. I don't think anyone takes them for granted, but they they are a much more more solidified block when it comes to voting, and they are significant populations enough to to change the outcomes of elections. So you know, certainly in in British Columbia, parts of the GTA. Uh, you know, the Sikh community is actually, it's a very big community here, like a lot of communities that, uh, you know, are, are, you know, uh, they fled, uh, you know, uh, civil unrest or persecution in their homeland. And, you know, after the, the attack on the Golden Temple uh, in, in India, um, we got a lot of Sikh people coming to Canada in, in search of a peaceful and better life. And, and by and large, you know, the, the Sikh people are, 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 they've made great Canadians and great contributions uh it, it's you know as as communities they're wonderful communities um they're they're they are courted by uh you know by by political groups much more so than i think than the than the indian group because the indian group is is not a monolithic group the way that the uh, sikh community is so it's much harder to kind of mobilize the the hindu indian community because it's actually a community of communities interesting um I, I just wonder if this will uh, get Trudeau some some more uh, support in the Sikh community uh, for standing up for for one of their own, or or um... I suspect you know, they they would be very you know, well not you know certainly not happy about the assassination, but uh, they'd certainly be happy about Canada taking a strong stand and and calling out India uh, on you know on 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 behalf of uh, of their community. 
Well, interesting. Well, we'll have to have to wait and see. It's it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, the contrast it with the way that the Chinese attempted infiltration of our electoral system was received. Uh, you can't win with the opposition, basically. No, I mean, you know, either you're too soft or you're too hard on things. And you know, right. whichever way you go, they're going to find a way to complain. That's right. Um, and finally, uh, let's talk briefly about Doug Ford and the Green Belt. Briefly. Oh, boy. <laughs> Where to start? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Brief is relative. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, where where are we today? It's, uh, you know, the story just keeps unraveling a bit more. I mean, you know, now there's there's revelations about uh, about deals being made on massage tables in, in Las Vegas. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously the, the Ford government wants to put this behind them and, you know, the walking back of the decision. I can't I can't believe there's going to be uh, too many uh, people who uh, bought that those properties uh, a couple of weeks before uh, the announcement are going to be very happy with the uh, the unraveling of the uh, of the deals. Um, I don't know if the land goes is supposed to be transferred back. I don't know how they do that. So that, you know, these people are now stuck with parkland. Um, and that that certainly wasn't what they thought they were going to be spending their money on. It's interesting. Well, first of all, uh, will they abandon Ford? Probably not, because who else are they going to give their money to? Who else is going to be as much of a sweetheart to them as Ford has been in so many other ways? Uh, but it's interesting that Ford has been able to do a lot of things with impunity during his time as premier. Now, some of that was because of the uh, undeserved glow he got for leadership during COVID. Um, people thought that, uh, you know, he, he came across as a competent, caring leader. God knows how, but there was there was that. Uh, well, compared to the other premiers, I mean, yeah, it, it's all relative. Yeah. That's, oh God, some of these other premiers. But now that we're getting further away from that, I think they, uh, Ford and his buddies, gambled that Ontarians really wouldn't get that worked up over Greenbelt stuff. Yeah, that we wouldn't care. That it's, it's not like, particularly ah, it's, sexy. It's way up there. Yeah, yeah, it's not sexy or exciting. And they'll complain for a few weeks, then like everything, it'll just go away. They did yeah. not reckon with the degree to which Ontarians like, no, 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 we take our environment seriously and we're not going to stand for this. I think this really surprised them because this is, I mean, Think about his reign. Do you remember any other policy where he got significant enough pushback to roll it back? No, never. No, nothing uh, yeah. at all. And, and, you know, and some of his policies, you know, his government's policies have been, you know, some of them have been quite controversial. And, you know, they've they've done tiny step walkbacks, but no complete, you know, fall on your face and uh, apologize on TV and and completely undo it. Uh, like like the green belt and i think you know but part of it is you know i think they miscalculated in what the public uh, reaction was going to be mm -hmm. and i th i think you know the part that i find the hardest is there i think they really underestimated how how smart <laughs> the voters are in terms of paying attention i really think they thought that that people were dumber than this and they could get away with it 
Well, and look at the they, turnout in the last provincial election. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> and I think that's what emboldened them too. Yeah. It's like, oh, we can do whatever we like. Look at you know, you know, no one, no one's watching us. Uh, you know, and a couple of people will squawk, and we'll just call them a bunch of uh, hippie environmentalists, and it'll, uh, um, and and they they even tried to. Uh, you know, it, it was really quite insulting that you know to our intelligence. They thought they they thought that they could get away with it, and we wouldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, too, they, um the 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 idea that they could try to paper this over with well we need houses this this is about housing that's like there's a housing crisis right now you know and, and you know if you look at numbers there there honestly isn't that big a housing crisis yeah they're right. they're expensive but but the, the percentage of home ownership and, and and the number of units and all the rest has remained fairly constant for the last 10 or 10 or 15 or 20 years yeah. but you know they're saying but oh this is all about building you keep talking about housing crisis we're building houses why are you mad about houses and you know it's for immigrants immigrants are coming in here and we need somewhere to put them are you against immigrants and trying to yes. paper over that issue that way was such a, a poor cheap kind of deflection that just you know again insulted your intelligence because everyone knew this was about um in, in enriching a couple of developers who you know went 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 to daughter's weddings and uh, you know took you to vegas and all those other sorts of things it's it was so transparent what was going on that the, i don't know if he had any choice but to walk it back finally and take his lumps because clearly their polling internal polling was that they were getting killed on it and you know his his personal polling from that that high of getting reelected his personal polling is, is way way down now um his last approval rating i saw was uh, at 28% according to angus reed um you know it dropped 5% over uh, over the green belt um so wow clearly, that's a- that's a that for a a, a cha- like that's not a gradual change. That was a that's a cliff. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and it, and it may not be over because you know they're still wearing it. The more you know, there's more to come, and you know the RCMP is looking at it, uh, and the integrity commissioner, you know, isn't done with things, and you know, the, and you know, my, my credit to the to the media, particularly, I think it's the Toronto Star has, has led this. They've been the ones who actually broke the story and did all the research and and brought it out you know and, and you know the opposition is nowhere on this particularly i think uh you know styles has had a couple of good one-liners about it but uh, you know the liberals are, are, are don't exist um for the moment and uh and no one's paying attention to the ndp so there's you know they've tried to take advantage of the fact that there's not much opposition uh that's organized or vocal in, in mm-hmm. ontario and it's been the media that's kind of pushed this story along um and you know and as, as long as it sells papers they're going to keep digging so and there's a lot more to come out i mean this isn't this is far from over yeah well i i think he that uh ford will be more cautious going forward i think that because being transparent conservatives being transparent in their avarice and disregard for the public good uh has become has been the fashion the last uh you know number of years i mean you just look at the us they're no longer e- the republicans are no longer even pretending that what they're doing is to serve everybody yeah. very clear no, or in fairness for... there's also that democrat uh who yes uh... menendez 
Menendez, who uh, you know, it was has a, a basement full of gold bars and cash, and, uh, like, and gold uh, bars, gold I mean, bars. You know. That's old school. Uh, and uh, just saying, like, nope, I'm not, I'm not resigning or or uh, stepping aside or doing anything. You know, come and get me. I got all this stuff. Uh, you know, honestly, from who was it? Was the uh, Egypt was uh, <laughs> was yeah, and you know, I'm head of the Foreign Affairs Committee, and uh, you know, but just a coincidence. Yeah, it, it's like, uh, or or you know, Supreme Court Justice Thomas and his. Uh, you know all of his uh his his emoluments it's uh you know th there's no shame anymore uh for, you know in, in in certain levels of politics and we've let them get away with it with a shrug that's the thing is for too long there was the shrug and well they're all corrupt which was never true but yeah. it drove down expectations to the point that we're willing to accept the unacceptable mm -hmm. so uh, I, I think that's why ford was so surprised when there's such a backlash against this um, because, you know, it was, you know, you know, the appearance of it is, is, is just classic corruption. It's you know, what was going on in the 1880s when the Americans were building railroads and yes. uh, all the, all the, all the senators would go out and buy worthless, uh, desert and farmland because they'd seen the plans and they knew the railway was going right through their property and they could turn around and sell it for a fortune. It's yeah. exactly the same thing. It's a, you know, but it's 140 years later. Well, I'm glad that this was reversed. And I'm hoping that, I mean, and this was reversed through the media. Like you said, it, it wasn't the opposition. The NDP is uh, an opposition in name only. And the liberals need to uh, have, a, you know, have a, uh, a convention and choose a new leader and be able to, if it's a good leader, uh, be able to, to have some kind of renaissance because they've been gone long enough that people are like, oh, yeah, I remember those guys. Uh, yep. There may be some favor, uh, uh, you know, accrued to them if they choose a good leader. Their last leader, not for, for the age we live in, maybe nope. very intelligent, very capable, but not at all dynamic in the way that people expect or telegenic nope. in the way that people expect. So they need to they need to choose a good leader and they could see themselves uh, come back strong from the the wastelands. But they need to get on it because right now the opposition is the media and uh, people who, you know, activists who get involved in this stuff. It's not the people that were elected to be the opposition. No, no. And and, you know, until we have a healthy functioning uh, legislature, it's not gonna, it's not going to change. Yeah. Well, on that, this is on that a, happy note. Oh boy, we've this we've has really been a bowl of cherries, has oh, it sure has. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm depressed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know how active you are on uh, Twitter X these days. You know, well, I'll I'll take a second to say, you know, I've really stepped back a lot from Twitter for for a whole bunch of reasons. I mean, you know, one, it's just a you know a flaming dumpster mm -hmm. of 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 you know from on, under Elon Musk. But I've also noticed, you know, they've certainly replatformed and amplified a whole bunch of really ugly voices on Twitter. And I kind of stepped back from it for a little bit. And I kind of, I went, every time I tip my toe back in even a little bit, I, I just, you know, um, I, I it, it's, it's become distasteful. And I've got some great followers and I love them. And I hear from them. And they go, they go, you know, we really wish you'd, you know, do some more stuff, which is, you know, very flattering. Um, but you know, I, my heart's just not in Twitter anymore. I think it's time had passed and it's just become another ugly grumble, low information, nah, 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 I hate you kind of place. Yeah, um, it's, so, it's, it's ugly. 
It's oh, I apologize ugly. to my Twitter followers. You don't see me very, very on there very often anymore, but uh, it's still, uh, like I say, it's still a platform, but uh, I, I think it's days are numbered. Yeah, it's it's just the uh, barbarians aren't at the gate. They've they've breached the gate. Yeah. And it's just, and it, it is so, I stay away. Or, yeah, I, I stay away. And then again, like you, I dip my toe in a little bit and it's like, whoa, crazies are here. Yeah, and, oh yeah. It, it's like going out on a, a warm night in the summer and the mosquitoes find you. It's like, oh, I, for, I forgot, you know, it's a lovely night, but boy, these mosquitoes are terrible. Yeah, it's it, 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 you're immediately targeted for invective and hatred and ignorance. It's like, why, why would I waste my time even engaging with these people? They're not on. Uh, you're not going to convince anybody. <laughs> no, they're they're. Well, I never thought I would convince anybody. I thought I would help to give arguments to those who need to be able to repel the stupidity. Uh, give them, you know, uh, you know, talking points in a sense, yeah. of helping them coalesce their their thoughts. But, you know, these these idiots were not on a there's no parity between my opinion and yours, because yours is based simply in justifying hatred. It, there, there's no rationality behind it. There's no logic. There's no facts. So why should I why should I treat you like an equal in the sense that I should respond to you? No, it's not worth it. Yeah, no, and it and it's sad. You know, Twitter, you know, has has you know certainly had its day, and uh, you know, um, great and met some great people through it. I say, yeah, I mean, I'm not abandoning it entirely, but I just say I'm I'm pretty disillusioned with it right now. And all of the you know Mastodon and Threads and all of the wannabes out there, I'm not sure they're going to attract critical mass. And I, and I don't think it's because of you know who they attract. I just think that the time, you know, oddly enough, in the I guess I've been on Twitter 12 years and those 12 years, it's really changed. Um, and just in terms of composition, I mean, it's changed in terms of the way it's organized and the algorithms that they push this, the you know, junk out to you right now. And, um, you know, they've made it as difficult as possible for you to actually connect with people who, who, you know, you think are reasonable, but, uh, you know, I, I just think it's, it's a platform whose time has passed. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's got a little life in it left but not you know not that much i'm looking forward to the day when elon musk sells it for about 10 percent of what he paid for it oh he'll be lucky to get 10 percent. <laughs> yeah yeah i agree all right Stephen. uh uh I've always a pleasure conversation yes and uh let's do this again soon because because uh, again the world uh in between gets kind of cranky it, it does and we, we need to keep up with it too <laughs> all right thank you Stephen. Always a pleasure. All right. Thank you for listening to Small L Liberals.